It's Monday, June 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Get ready to hear more about immigration and the border this week. After Vice President Harris went to the U.S.-Mexico border last week, former President Trump and a group of House Republicans are also making a trip. They feel this is a winning issue for them and will continue to press Biden for his handling of the influx of migrants. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for this, a bipartisan framework agreed upon for infrastructure and how election attacks continue to persist in Michigan and Arizona. Next, some helpful news on the treatment of cancer. The same mRNA technology that is used in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines could be used to help treat cancer. Specifically, the hope is to make vaccines to prevent reoccurrences and fight off advanced tumors. Initially, this would help people with melanoma and kidney cancer. There are currently a number of ongoing studies that hope to have some results in about a year or two. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today, joins us for how mRNA tech is being used for more than COVID. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The work that we have to do is the work of addressing the cause, the root causes. Otherwise, we will continue to see the effect of what is happening at the border. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about a range of issues today, lots of stuff to get to. But first, let's start off with what we're going to be hearing a lot about this week, immigration. So Vice President Kamala Harris visited the U.S.-Mexico border on Friday. This week, former President Trump is going to be visiting on Wednesday. He's going to be going to the border. He's going to be going with about a dozen House Republicans. I mean, just continuing to show how much he's focused on immigration and how much control he has over the party. I think these House Republicans, uh, they're from the Republican Study Committee, they said that they're going to carry on Trump's legacy and make sure it's something they focus on during this Congress. They think this is a political winner for them. I mean, former President Trump talked about immigration and the border relentlessly when he was running for office and then when he was running for re-election. And they think this is the issue that gets their base riled up. And so they're going to try to draw even more attention to the border this week. President Trump's visit there is really to try to paint the current administration as a failure, never mind the fact that he promised to build a wall and then didn't build a wall. So, you know, it's a situation where he had some say in what was going on there. He's continuing to try to assert that he left the border the securest it's ever been, and then in six months back, and has made it the least secure it's ever been. Some of this is definitely hyperbole, but I think they really think that they can convince the public that this is something that he would be better on if, you know, and he keeps hinting at it, he runs for president again in 2024. Yeah, the other person's going down there is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. You were talking about a wall. You know, he announced that they're also going to be trying to build a wall. I don't know if it's part of the same one or they're doing an addition or something, but they're also doing that. We also saw uh, still on the immigration side, the Biden administration forced out the head of U.S. Border Patrol, Rodney Scott. They gave him the, I forgot what they called it, it's like the three R's or something. He could either resign, retire, or relocate. But uh, he's going to be on his way out. That's right. And the Supreme Court handed Biden a victory this past week where they said that he could fire some of these chairmen or board or, you know, it was a bunch of different positions, but it, that were appointed under Trump and that he had the authority, even though their 
sort of legislation that approved them said they they had to be fired for cause, that cause could be not agreeing with them. And so one of the several people he got rid of last week was the Border Patrol chief who was a Trump appointee, who was much more aligned with Trump. And and I think it's also, I mean, the Border Patrol agents endorsed Trump. I mean, they really agreed with him and they thought that cracking down was a good thing. And, and Trump came to their defense. And so new leadership in that agency, as Biden has a continued battle ahead of him, if he is going to reshape the way that agency operates. Yeah, the thing that comes now is morale in the agency. And a lot of people said that morale might dip down lower because, you know, they don't know what the leadership is right now. And and as I mentioned, we're going to be hearing a lot about this this week. U.S. Customs and Border Protection took in more than 180,000 migrants into custody in May. That's the highest one-month total in nearly two decades. So we expect to hear a lot of that. Also, this past week, we heard from President Biden and a bipartisan group of senators. They said they reached a deal on infrastructure. There's still some things to hash out and everything, especially on how to pay for it, but that seems to be progressing in the right way. Yeah, they're going to have to sell this to both Republicans and important Democrats in Congress, some of whom are likely to be unhappy that it's not as big as they wanted it to be. But that's right. President Biden came out sort of surprised all of us on Thursday, appeared in front of the White House unannounced to announce that they had a deal um, saying that he thinks that this is important and that he is going to back this effort that 10 or 11, I think, you know, bipartisan group of senators signed off on. And so they're going to have to sell it. They're going to have to sell it to Republicans or have to sell it to Democrats. But they're hopeful that at the end of the day, they'll be able to pass something that builds some roads and bridges. And, you know, it includes broadband money and water money and some electric vehicles and some energy grid upgrades. And that they'll be able to say to the American people that, look, they got something done. They did it together and they're not broken after all. <laughs> you know, that's exactly it. They all they agreed to focus on hard infrastructure, which was something we've talked about before. Some of that other stuff is going to have to wait to another thing. But they did get 11 Republicans, as you mentioned. That's the the number they needed to get something passed. And President Biden for himself said, you know, none of us got all that we wanted. But it reminds me of the days when we used to get an awful lot done in the United States Congress. So that's a good thing, right? Uh, some type of bipartisan action, any action, when we're, when we're used to having nothing done and just nothing but fighting, I think that's a good thing. I think that many people will view it as a good thing. You know, progress, accomplishments, getting things done, getting it done in a way that everyone could agree about and getting it done on something that's really important. I mean, we had a pedestrian bridge collapse on our interstate here in Washington, D.C. last week. So it is not something that isn't needed. You know, lots of infrastructure needs in America. Last week, we also saw President Biden announce his strategy to tackle gun violence. We've seen a lot of rise in crime in a lot of places across the country. So he has five key areas. He wants to stem the flow of firearms, provide law enforcement with more resources. That's a very important one right there. Invest in community violence interventions, expand summer programs and employment opportunities. I mean, this is, again, the kind of thing that is a problem. I mean, we are seeing an uptick, some of the violent crimes, particularly in cities, particularly gun-related. But when you talk to Republicans, they will say that it's it's much worse than it is, and they are using quite hyperbolic terms to describe it. And we see the Biden administration trying to get ahead of this, trying to address some of the root causes, trying to address the issue of guns, trying to say that they're doing something, trying to actually do something and not to say that they're doing something um, and trying to blunt some of this expected criticism that's coming from Republicans about 
the defund the police movement and about how Democrats view crime and safety in America. And it's not a coincidence. This is something that former President Trump also talked about a lot. One of the things along with this, though, is that it's going to face pressure from some Democrats. You know, there's defund police has been popular in some of these circles, but that hasn't really always been the case with President Biden. You know, he does support these community intervention things, all these other things, but he he never really fell in line with defunding police. And, and, you know, according to this plan, he wants to give them more resources to hire more police, to purchase equipment that would allow departments to respond to gun violence. That's right. And if you looked at Biden during the primary last year, he refused to endorse the defund the police movement. And I think that we're seeing some Democratic realization that the movement is is not helping them, at least at large. You can look at some of the postmortems that were done after the 2020 election by Democratic pollsters and strategists and overwhelmingly said that the defund the police movement hurt them in the 2020 election. It hurt them in state and local races. And look at New York City, you know, in the first count of ballots, there's still this going to take them weeks to figure out who their Democratic nominee for mayor is. But in the first round, a police officer who was very critical of the defund the police movement was the plurality. So we're definitely seeing some signs in the Democratic Party that some of the politicians are really standing up to that movement and they're not going to continue to even let it go along, forget endorsing it. Last thing for today, I just wanted to touch on what we're seeing in places like Arizona and Michigan right now as, you know, Arizona's going through this election audit, you know, it, by all accounts, it's it's a mess. Michigan right now is grappling with something similar. I think a, a GOP legislator there introduced a bill to start an audit process. But the Republican-controlled state Senate committee there in Michigan just issued a report rejecting claims of widespread fraud in the state. But this is that ongoing battle. We've been hearing things out of President Trump's camp saying that, you know, he feels like he might be reinstated, you know, once things keep continuing. But this is just the ongoing thing eight months now, I think, into Joe Biden's presidency. Yeah, it seems like it's never going to end. And that's in part because former President Trump keeps standing up and repeating these things. I mean, there is no magical way for him to be made president now that he's lost and the person who won is in the Oval Office. Not going to happen. But I think that that Michigan Republican report, you know, it was voted on by all of the Republicans on their their special investigative committee that looked into the election that just was scathing and said that there was no need for an audit because there were no signs that there were any frauds, any systemic issues. They just debunked a lot of the lies that are being told about Michigan and their results and said it was quite clear that they were counted correctly and that Joe Biden won the state of Michigan. They did recommend some changes in that report also, which leads to the other ongoing theme we've been hearing about changing voting laws. So that part of it still continues. Yeah, that's a fight we're going to keep hearing from. And and I think that some of these changes by Republicans predate Donald Trump. Some of them are being pushed by Donald Trump and has sort of stopped the SEAL movement. Democrats are wholeheartedly against all of them. And that's why that report was not voted on by the one Democrat who was on that committee who said uh, he didn't agree with some of the recommendations about voter IDs and voting hours that are common to what we've seen in other states. But this is just this ongoing fight. And I think we're going to continue to see Republicans and Democrats nationally at the local level having this fight about these regulations. Yep. Lots going on. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
And so what the mRNA technology can do is sort of add add soldiers to add gas. Uh, it, it, once you've taken the, the pedal, uh, your, your foot off the brake, these mRNAs can add gas by adding immune soldiers, by teaching the immune system to go after after the cancer. Joining us now is Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about this mRNA technology that we've seen in the current COVID-19 vaccines. There's a lot of hope that this could also help in treating cancer. Right now, there's a lot of uh, uh, clinical trials and, uh, and other vaccines being developed uh, in the hope that they can attack tumors. Right now, I think a lot of it has to do with melanoma and kidney cancers. But Karen, tell us a little bit more about uh, what these mRNA vaccines can do in this realm now. Right. So there's been a tremendous amount of progress in the last decade or so in what's called immune therapy and turning the immune system against cancer. And one type of drug that's been very successful, particularly for melanoma and kidney cancer, is called a checkpoint blockade. Basically, cancer puts a break on the immune system, stops the immune system from fighting, fighting the tumor, and these drugs take that break off. And so what the mRNA technology can do is sort of add add soldiers to add gas. Uh, it, it, once you've taken the, the pedal, uh, your, your foot off the brake, these mRNAs can add gas by adding immune soldiers, by teaching the immune system to go after, after the cancer. And it's a, a pretty interesting and tricky way this is done. So, you know, when we're getting the stories about the COVID vaccines, it was all about finding, identifying those spike proteins and then and then getting the vaccine to attack those proteins right there, those spike proteins. Exactly. So cancer is a little more challenging is because the body right. recognizes cancer cells as part of itself leaves them alone. So you need to get a biopsy of the tumor, identify what's different, and then you can tailor the vaccine to that. Exactly. And that's been a huge challenge in research for decades. They've been trying for cancer vaccines, but they haven't found the exact right proteins to go after that are only on cancer cells. So one of the reasons that like chemotherapy is so destructive is it kills healthy cells along with, with cancerous ones. And so what this mRNA technology has the promise to do is to target specifically the cancer cells and, and leave the healthy ones alone. Tell me a little bit about Bobby Fentress, who you profiled yes. in your article, who is going through some of this, and it was going through it this past year throughout the pandemic. He was able to get one of these vaccine trials and, you know, hopefully treat his his cancer. The thing is, this is going to take some years still since until we get to see some results. But tell us about Bobby and his story. Exactly. Um, and so Bobby is a fantastic guy, lives in Tennessee. He uh, runs a painting contracting business. And he had a little bump on his left middle finger, thought it was a wart went to get it taken care of eventually after his wife nagged him for a while. Um, and he was diagnosed with melanoma. And so they actually amputated most of his middle finger on his left hand. And where this mRNA technology is supposed to be, is hope, hoped to be the, the most effective, is for people like this. So they, they took out the main tumor, but there might be some cells circulating in Bobby's body that could come back and, and form more tumors in the future. It's called a metastasis, metastasized. And so it's hoped that by giving him this mRNA technology that it can help turn the immune system against tumor cells and prevent a recurrence. So he's in this trial. Again, we really don't know yet whether this will work. Uh, theoretically, it does. It works in mice, um, but it'll take another few years to prove out in people. But if, if it does, he had about a 50% chance of a recurrence. If this works, uh, it, it won't recur. Yeah, he's uh, gone through about a year of the treatment so far. Exactly. 
the, as I mentioned, kind of with the way they make the vaccine, it they have to kind of tailor make these to each individual person. And that's what he got in his vaccine. But how, how many people have, have been involved with some of these trials so far? Right. It's sort of mind blowing the idea of having literally a personalized medication tailored to your specific cancer and the, the mutations in it. So far, Moderna, which is one of the companies involved, a name you might recognize from the COVID fight, right. they've tested this in about 100 people so far. So it's still quite early days, but there's a lot of a lot of promise. There's also an, another area that they're testing, which would be in advanced tumors where they have some consistent mutations. So maybe melanoma has five or 10 mutations that are common among a lot of people with melanoma. And so they could do like an off-the-shelf version uh, where they could pre-make it and just give it to you or give you a combination of X, Y, and Z version to go after mutations that you have in your in your tumors. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar names in all of this. Moderna, BioNTech right. uh, is working on some stuff. Exactly. Uh, even the uh, uh, antibody drug Regeneron, which was used with COVID too, was uh, all kind of rolled up into these overall treatments that are going. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the same people that had a lot of success with the COVID-19 vaccine are also involved here. Actually, it's, it's in a way, it's the reverse. So all of these companies were working in cancer. They happened to be doing some vaccine work also, at least Moderna was, but their main focus was in cancer because that's where there's a lot of money in, in, in the drug industry. And then COVID came along and they saw it as a way to prove out their technology because none of the none of these products had make it, had made it to market yet. So in a way, it was this cancer work uh, that was moving forward that helped us push the the mRNA vaccines through so quickly. I mean, this is an amazing technology, as we saw with the COVID nineteen vaccines. But you know, a lot of people are uh, urging caution. You know, this isn't the uh, going to end cancer completely. It's just one exactly. part of the treatment. What are some of the markers of success that people are looking for when they go through this? Because uh, they say that it has to boost the long-term survival rate for it to mean right. anything. Right. So somebody like Bobby Fentress, who we said had had melanoma, had a high chance of recurrence, 50% chance of recurrence. And when it does recur in a case like that, the outcomes are not good. The long-term survival is not good. So basically, they have to wait a couple of years and hope that, that Bobby stays healthy and, and his cancer doesn't recur. And they need to do that with enough people to be confident that, that it's really the, uh, the drug that's making the difference. Tell me a little bit about how the pandemic actually helped, uh, helped in this part of it, because we were able to prove that we could ramp up production of mRNA vaccines. You know, we were able to prove that they worked as well. But there's a lot of uh, ties between the pandemic and uh, making these vaccines for cancer. Right. So um, prior to this, Moderna, for instance, had a had a factory in suburban Boston and they were making, you know, doses of, of, of this cancer vaccine, um, but not at a huge scale. And and if, if it was successful, they'd have to ramp up to treat people with cancer. Uh, but now they've ramped up so much to treat covid that they understand now how to mass produce these mRNAs at, at just unbelievable scales that will be useful, that will save a lot of time uh, if these cancer vaccines prove effective. Karen Weintraub, health reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright. 
and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.